2008, were you a victim of it in a different way, in some way? Between then and now, thousands of people at different stages have lost their jobs. As we know, particularly in Oxford, house prices have shot up. So those who want to buy can't or have to leave. And those who rent have to pay increased monthly fees. Food prices and domestic prices and petrol prices have all gone up. But to make things worse for some people, their salaries have gone down and people are being paid less money. Some have had mortgage trouble, bank trouble, debt trouble, and the pressure has been on the government to try and put things right, to try and bring those responsible, whoever they are, to justice. The financial crisis was one of those tragic events that has shaken our culture, a culture that thinks it's invincible, that it can do anything it wants and get away with it. Many people have suffered from greed of others or greed of themselves. Whether you have suffered in the credit crunch or not, I'm, I'm sure that we have all have dreamt about better days. We all would like life to be a little bit more secure, generally. When it comes to our homes, when it comes to family, future, we'd like to know that things are going to be okay. We'd love to have a place to live in that is our home and know that it's our home. To know that when we go to work, that we're going to do something productive, that it will be fruitful, and that we'll see something of that fruit. Maybe you lie in bed at night and you wish that life was more settled, that you knew what was going to happen next, that it was more certain. Maybe you wish that you could go through a certain period of time where there's no disappointment, there's no setbacks, there's no illness, there's no bad memories. Well, if you wish to see a more secure Britain, may I suggest you move to a little village called Marina Leda. I think that's how you pronounce it, I'm not quite sure. Marina Leda. It's a small village in the heart of Andalusia in the south of Spain. While just a few years ago, the average unemployment rate in Andalusia was 36%, and it was even higher for those between 16 and 24, this little village that only has 2,700 people has 100% employment and has 100% home occupancy. Amazing. This village in the 1970s really struggled with huge unemployment, great poverty, but the people decided to do something about it. And so led by their mayor, Sanchez Gordillo, they transformed this little place into a, into a sort of communist-style utopia, although they deny being fully communist or fully utopian. It is a lovely little community. People work in the fields and they produce crops and everything they need to live on. Everybody has the same salary. And it's actually double the minimum wage of Spain. Everybody works the same number of hours and the village has no police. They don't need police because there's such a good, strong community. There's honesty. There are good relationships in this place that they can solve any issues among themselves. They build their houses and live in them. They plant their vineyards and eat of them. 
just as we read in Isaiah 65. And this is not some kind of religious cult. This is just a normal village in the heart of the south of Spain. Now, I am sure, of course, that this village has its problems. It will be very interesting to know how long they can sustain such harmony and peace. It might not be your cup of tea to go and live in a place like that. But a lot of it does sound desirable. We all long to live in such a peaceful community that's secure, that's fruitful, that's full of love. Well, the people in the time of Isaiah, when he is preaching and prophesying, (coughs) they had heard from him that a time of exile is coming. They're living not in time of peace themselves. They know that nations around them are coming and attacking them and they're constantly being wary of that. They're having to defend themselves all the time. Relationship with God is not good either because they've been disobeying him and leaving him to worship other gods and they're certainly not settled. And here are people who long and desire for security and peace. Isaiah 65, the the prophecies of later in Isaiah are are yet to be filled for those who who are in Isaiah's time, but for those who are in exile, those who are suffering under Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar when he arrives, they will read Isaiah's prophecy here in chapter 65, and they would think, yes, this is what we long for. This is what we dream for, such peace and security, such hope that we may experience one day in the future. To remember that God's promises of a new heavens and a new earth that we read here will bring great hope to those who are away from home, those who are in time of war, those who have lost their loved ones and have been stripped from their family. Dream of one day having it all back again. Well, what I like about these verses is that as well as telling us what will be in this new heavens and the new earth, It tells us about it by telling us, by contrasting it with what's not there. So Isaiah tells us of lots of really good, great things, but he shows us too why it will be great by contrasting it with what won't be there. Do you notice he uses phrases like, never again will there be, no longer will they, no more As we work through these verses together, may the knowledge of what won't be in this new creation strengthen us and help us as we wait for its fulfillment. No more. Firstly, no more troubled memories. I've called it no more troubled memories. Let's read again from verse 17. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Isaiah 65 comes right at the end of this long book and many, many words have been spoken by this prophet to 
a number of different people. Kings have risen and have fallen, but God's word has remained true and has proved itself to be true over the 50 years or so that Isaiah has been preaching. Like with some of the chapters that we've seen so far in this series, this one comes again after a period of of judgment has been announced. Prophecies of God bringing judgment on the earth. We've not really thought a lot about God's judgment in this series, particularly about the eternal judgment that is to come. Of course, that is a very important topic, and it could well be a theme of another series in the future. But our attention has been on, on... the new heavens and the new earth, on this new city that Isaiah speaks of. We saw the new city back in chapter 2, and this morning we we, we return to this city, this new Jerusalem that God will create in the new heavens and the new earth. But do you notice that, as in chapter 35 that we looked at a few weeks ago, he doesn't focus on the renewed nature. Back then we saw the deserts becoming oasis and new life growing Whereas here, he is concentrating on people, on the city. And it's almost as if the the city and the people are synonymous. They're the same thing. He talks about God creating Jerusalem to be a delight and the people to be a joy. And he says the same thing about, about the people, that there'll be a joy and a delight for God. And then he says there will be no weeping and no crying. Weeping and crying are the very physical and very visible response to sadness, to sorrow and to pain. If you have children or have had children or have been a child, then you'll know they cry a lot. Adults don't cry so much, but still do cry. And men, for some reason, like to pride themselves in not crying at all. But of course there are There are some things that happen in life, in this world, that will break any grown man. There are horrors and tragedies and and death that occur that bring tears to all people. Weeping and crying is that physical display of the emotion that goes on inside of us. And yet here we hear there will be a time when there will be no more weeping and no more crying. And just before that, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, that the former things, verse 17, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Amazing verses. How many of us are plagued by bad memories from the past? How many perhaps lie awake or have lain awake at night thinking about things that have happened that we wish that we could change? How many of us have memories of loved ones that are no longer with us? Or memories of injustice that's happened to us, disappointment through our experiences, things that have produced weakness and hurt, things that stick in us. It's amazing how powerful the memories are and how powerful our mind is to to shape how we are, to shape how we make decisions and, and it affects how we live in the future. Memories can give great confidence to move forward 
but memories can also paralyze us in fear. Our memories are, are our memories. They, we don't share them in exactly the same way with anybody else, and often they can have a hold on us. But here, Isaiah says, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. What, what does he mean? What is he referring to? Does he mean that there will be no more memory at all of, of this life? No memory of, of all that's happened in the past? You could argue that even the good things in this life are actually going to be really weak and poor in comparison to what the new earth will be like, and maybe we won't want to remember anything from this world. Or maybe, if you have a look back at verse 16, we didn't read it, but verse 16 says that God, for past troubles, will be forgotten and hidden from his eyes. He forgets all that is past, all the trouble things that are past. In the new earth, there's, there's no space for sadness, there's no space for bad memories, because there is only joy. And so maybe, maybe he means bad experiences, or even good experiences that we've had, will not have a negative effect on the future. Things that have happened here on earth will not keep us back, will not hold us down, will not plague us, will not weigh heavily upon our shoulders. John Piper, I think, is helpful in explaining here that when we think of past events in our world, many, yes, we don't want to remember. Yet the most tragic and the most sad event of history was the death of the Lord Jesus. And surely we do want to remember that because although Jesus died on a cruel wooden cross in a barbaric act of crucifixion, it's only because of the cross that we'll ever get to experience the new heavens and the new earth. So it's not that we'll only remember the good and we'll forget the bad, but maybe maybe the memories that we do have will be changed Because from a new heavenly, a new eternal perspective, when we see Jesus face to face, the whole world and all that has happened will make sense. We will see that God's sovereign rule and control throughout history has has been just as he had planned it. That he's been there and he's worked out all things, even worked out evil for good. Before we were in Isaiah, we were in Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about forgetting what is behind him and striving forward to what is ahead to claim the prize, to reach towards heaven. And what Paul meant was not to forget as and have no memories of the past, but for him to not allow that past to keep him, to stop him from moving forward. And so Paul wouldn't allow past sins past experiences to stop him from serving the Lord. And so may that be true for us, that one day the past will not hinder us. The past will not tie us up in knots. It will not burden us or keep us awake at night. It will not keep us in a state of depression, but it will free us. We will be free Whatever our memories will be, they will be changed and they will be renewed and there will no longer be sadness. There will no longer be weeping and crying over the things of the past because they will be no more. I'm sure there will be many, many memories, both good and bad, that will indeed be forgotten. 
because we will be looking to the future. We will be looking at such a wonderful new earth that much of what was past we will simply forget. No weeping, no crying. But secondly, there will be no more death. I'm sure you know the old saying, in this world there's nothing can be said, nothing is said to be certain except death and taxes. I'm sure we can't be absolutely true about taxes, but it is about death. Death is a reality. It's guaranteed for all of us. One day, we will die. For most of us living in this day and age, in this culture, we don't expect that day to be for a long time until we are in our old age. And so when we, it's, a, it's a tragedy when anyone does die. It's a tragedy when the young die, particularly, but of course all death is a tragedy. It's unnatural. It doesn't seem right. It seems so final, particularly in this world. I know that many of us, including myself in this room, have experienced the death and loss of those who we hold dear. Last Sunday night, I watched the Sports Personality of the Year. I don't know if you did too. Usually, I don't get to see the whole program because often it is on earlier on in December and evening services still take place. And so I rush back to see the end, to see who's won the prize. But this year, it was later, and I got to watch the whole thing. But what I do remember is that every year, near the end of the show, there is a display on the big screen of photographs. And these photographs are of all the sports people who have died in that last year. Just a couple of weeks ago, Jimmy Hill, famous footballer turned pundit, you may know him, he died. And over 60 names and faces scrolled over that screen. Some very famous, like Jonah Lomu, who died just last month. But it seems so ironic that here, during a celebration of, of human physical achievement, you cannot escape death. It's right there beside you. But yet, in verse 20 of Isaiah 65, we read, Never again. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, nor an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Never again will there be miscarriages. Never again will there be a young life that is stolen away. Never again will there be those who die before their time. Even those who are old will be considered mere children compared to those who are living in this city because people will live on and on. Now maybe you are a little bit troubled by some of these verses, by the way Isaiah expresses himself here. And this does indeed raise one major controversy that, that is in the church about exactly what does Isaiah mean here? What is he speaking of? It's not our time this morning to get into great details of this, but, but the options are 
Maybe Isaiah is simply using human language. He's using current earthly experiences to explain something that we do not yet know. So when he says an old man, um, sorry, the one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be accursed. Maybe he's just using hypothetical language to explain what it will not be there on that last day. Others think that he's clearly talking about some kind of death here. So is he really talking about the new earth? And they would use this mountain range illustration that we've, we've had. Two stages of fulfillment perhaps would be in the future. Before God creates the final new heavens and the new earth, there will be a period of, of great peace and tranquility after Jesus has returned, but before the new earth. Maybe. That's a big debate. and We'll not get into it this morning. But the main point the main point that Isaiah is making here is that there will not be any experience of premature death because there will be no more death. We won't grow old, certainly in terms of being weak physically and mentally, but we will have vigor and life forever and ever. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. No more troubled memories, no more death. And thirdly, no more insecurity. We thought about earlier things in this life that make us insecure, like house prices or even having a house, job security or even having a job. Read with me in verse 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruits. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the people, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. For many Israelites who are reading these words of Isaiah 65, this will be a dream come true to again be in a place where they have their own home, can eat of their own fruit. Many of them perhaps would think back to Deuteronomy 28. God tells the people there, he's telling those who are about to enter the promised land for the very first time, he says to them at the beginning of the chapter, if you obey me, I will bless you, and you will grow and you will be fruitful and prosperous in the land. But in the second half of the chapter, he says, if you disobey me, I will bring a curse. He says these words, however, if you do not obey the Lord, your God, and do not carefully fulfill, follow all my commands and decrees, I will give, I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruits. And Israel experienced just that as they disobeyed God, as they rebelled against him. Others came into their land and took them away. Others came and occupied their houses. Others came in and ate the fruits of their land. Now we may not experience this kind of injustice, this kind of insecurity, but we know that many in our world do. 
We think very recently of, well, currently, of all the refugees from Syria who, who are being driven away from their land, fleeing to Europe. Think of the families who have arrived in Oxford in just these last couple of weeks. People who have lost and fled from home, from their jobs, from their family, running to find peace and life. But here in Isaiah 65 are great words of comfort, of encouragement, of hope. For Syrian Christians, they can see this and they can know that one day I will have a home that is mine and I can live and work and enjoy the fruits of my labor. Words that speak of such security and peace, of a long life, of fruitfulness. This new heavens and this new earth, we see such wonderful blessings, wonderful emotions that are described. And we see all that will be there by contrasting it with, by, with what will, will not be there. No more death, no more weeping, no more crying, no more insecurity. And Isaiah goes on at the end of the chapter to, to talk about peace that will exist amongst nature. There will be no more fighting amongst the animals. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, so we're not going to get into the, that anymore this morning, except to say that the greatest thing that will be on this new earth will be the presence of God. See down at verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. We've rejoiced at all that won't be on that new earth. But we finish by focusing on the one who isn't physically with us here, but of course is very present by his Holy Spirit. But yet on that day, we'll be very physically present. As we will see the Lord Jesus, we will see him face to face, and we will be like him. Of course, as followers of Jesus, we are in a living relationship with him now, and we communicate with, with God in heaven through prayer. The Bible tells us that God knows us. He knows what's in our hearts before we ask. And he always answers our prayers. But yet on that new earth, we won't even need to get as far as asking. Because he will be there and he will answer. And he will provide. And he will answer our questions. And we will have access and freedom to speak to him and enjoy fellowship with him forever and ever. So, 2015 is almost over. What kind of year has it been for you? What experiences have you been through? What memories have you made? What tears have you shed? What insecurity still runs through your life? 2016 is just around the corner, another year on, another year closer to the return of Jesus. Another year that we wait for his return. I hope and pray that as we've been looking through Isaiah, that we can indeed be glad and we can rejoice as we see the wonderful hope that awaits us. But yet as we wait, as we wait, with our memories, as we wait, 
with insecurity, with, with death that's all around us. We can wait in peace. We can wait with hope. We can wait with confidence. And we can live good, fruitful lives for the Lord Jesus. The Apostle John has many, many visions while on the island of Patmos, recorded for us in the book of Revelation. And the very end of that book, the penultimate chapter, he sees a vision that fulfills many of the things we've read here in this chapter, a vision of no more death, a vision of no more crying, but a vision of God. Let me read this to you to, to close. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. <clears throat> For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. A few moments, just quiet, quiet prayer in your own hearts and minds, reflecting on God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful pictures, these visions, these prophecies that you have given to your people, to us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you see the end from the beginning, that all these things are, are done and complete in your plan, that that new heavens, that new earth will come, that you will come and dwell with your people forever and ever that you will indeed wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more death. But there will be fullness of joy and gladness and singing and rejoicing. And we will live on the earth and we will enjoy the earth and we will go about living our lives and we'll enjoy bearing fruit, enjoying your presence. We long for that day, we pray for that day. Lord, we ask that you would help us, <clears throat> help us in the here and now as we wait for that day to come. Help us to keep trusting in the Lord Jesus, knowing that it's only in him that we can ever make it to that day. We thank you for him. We thank you for his death has paid the price for our sins. We thank you that through his resurrection we have that hope he who was the first fruits and yet we will follow him in the future, rising from the dead with new resurrected bodies. And we look forward to that day. 
Thank you that we can know you and we can experience little bits, little glimpses of that day, even now. But Father, help us. Help us in the difficulties. Help us in the struggles. Help us in the tears. Help us in the death. To look to you, to hold on to you, to trust you. And we thank you for all these wonderful things.